Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the August 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, and it's titled Freemasonry and the Knights of Labor, and this is written by Reverend Robert L. Usel, 32nd degree, and it's about brothers Uriah S. Stevens and Terence V. Powderly. The noble and holy order of the Knights of Labor has been well described as the most important and by far the largest secret society in the United States organized in the interest of industrial workers. Established in 1869 as an oath-bound secret society with a ritual which borrowed heavily from masonry, the Knights removed most of their secret elements in 1882 only to restore them in 1895. Membership reached an all-time high of 729,677 in July 1886. This number included 95,000 African Americans. By 1897, total membership had dropped to 175,000. Never regaining their former strength, they continued to operate as a secret society until 1917, when they were officially dissolved. One historian of the order correctly observed that the knights were born noble and holy and died in the same state of grace. Throughout their 48-year history, the Knights of Labor consistently identified with the working class. Their political platform called for improved safety regulations, mechanics liens, the 8-hour workday, public ownership of utilities, regulation of public transportation, regulation of child labor, an end to convict leasing, the establishment of bureaus of labor, statistics, and postal savings banks, equal rights for women. They also called for the establishment, when feasible, of cooperative institutions to supersede the wage system. Uriah Smith Stevens The belief in an ideal society in which all individuals would be bound by a brotherhood grounded in a production ethos and a most perfect government in which an injury to one is the concern of all was quite visionary during the late 19th century. But such a vision guided the life and work of Uriah Smith Stevens, the founder of the Knights of Labor. Stevens was born on August 3, 1821, in Cape May County, New Jersey. Deeply religious, he studied at a Baptist seminary, but never entered the ministry. There can be no doubt, however, that he developed a practical theology which he employed in his mission to improve the quality of life of the working class. In 1846, he moved to Philadelphia, where he worked as a tailor and became quite active in politics. An abolitionist, he took the stump for John C. Fremont in 1856 and for Abraham Lincoln in 1860. He ran successfully for Congress in 1878 on the Greenback Labor Ticket. He was responsible for the incorporation of the word labor in the party's name. Stevens was initiated in an apprentice mason in Kensington Lodge No. 211 in Philadelphia on December 9, 1864, passed to the degree of fellowcraft on February 25, 1865, and raised to the sublime degree of master mason on March 24, 1865. He was also a member of Keystone Lodge No. 2, Knights of Pythias, and Fidelity Lodge No. 138, Independent Order of Oddfellows. 
Stevens' involvement with masonry began during the same period of his initial involvement with organized labor. In 1862, he helped to organize the Garment Cutters Union, which survived for only seven years. At his invitation, a few members of the recently demised union met at his home on Thanksgiving Day, November 25, 1869. At this meeting, he unfolded his plan for the noble and holy order of Knights of Labor, as a brotherhood of toil open to every laborer, mechanic, and artisan who wanted to improve his mind and condition regardless of country, creed, or color. At the New Order's second meeting on December 28, 1869, Stephen's ritual, Adolphon Kruptos, which meant secret brotherhood, was officially adopted. In this opus, Stevens expressed his conviction that the everlasting truth sealed by the grand architect of the universe is that everything of value or merit is the result of creative industry. Ritualistic work included lectures on the nobility of labor and the evils of wage slavery, monopoly, and accumulation. Stevens selected an equilateral triangle within a circle as the New Order's emblem, embellishing it with symbolism from the various lodges to which he belonged. The Knights of Labor elected Stevens as the first local workman, the first district master workman, and the first grand master workman. By 1879, there were 23 district assemblies and 1,300 local assemblies. At that time, Stevens resigned the highest office in the order. The decision resulted from a great blow he had experienced the previous year when the General Assembly, largely due to pressures exerted by Roman Catholic members, had voted to make public the name of the order, omit scriptural quotations from the ritual, and modify the initiation ceremonies to make them less offensive to the Catholic Church. On January 1, 1882, after five years of debate regarding the wisdom of secrecy, the Knights of Labor became a public organization. Stevens died on February 13, 1882. He was buried in the Oddfellow Cemetery in Philadelphia. At the time of his death, he was estranged from the order he had founded and guided for nearly a decade. Nevertheless, he was still revered by many knights. As a result, when the General Assembly convened in Richmond, Virginia in 1886, they voted to appropriate $10,000 to erect a home for the family of their founder. While Stevens did not live to see his organization at its peak of influence, he laid the foundation for much of what followed. The work of the Knights of Labor and the accomplishments of later unions were fulfillments of the vision of this great man who embodied the best of both Freemasonry and organized labor. Terence Vincent Powderly I have tried to so lead my life as to injure no man in word or deed, to help others, and, in doing so, recognize no creed, clime, condition, or color. I claim the right as an American, freeborn, and under the tongue of good report, to serve God in dealing fairly and squarely by all of his children with whom I come into contact. These beautiful words well express the philosophy of Terence Vincent Powderly, the second Grand Master Workman of the Knights of Labor. A longtime Roman Catholic who became a Mason at the age of 52, Powderly never found a good and sufficient reason for the Church's opposition to Masonry. Powderly was born on January 22, 1849, in Carbondale, Pennsylvania. As a young man, he was terminated from employment as a machinist by an unjust foreman and blacklisted at the time of the panic in 1873. His experiences during this period contributed to the empathy which he always expressed toward the unemployed. Thus, he later recalled, only the man who stands utterly alone, friendless, moneyless, ill-clad, shirtless, and hungry can know what it is to be a real tramp. The experience was mine through no fault of my own. 
Recognizing the need for working people to organize for protection of their rights, Powderly joined the Machinist and Blacksmiths Union, for which he served as an organizer for Western Pennsylvania. His initiation into the Knights of Labor occurred in Philadelphia on September 6, 1876. Rising rapidly within the order, he was elected Grand Master Workman in 1879 and maintained his office until 1893. The Knights of Labor experienced their greatest growth in membership and inclusiveness under Powderly's leadership. During the 1886 General Assembly in Richmond, the Grand Master Workman was introduced by Frank Farrell, a popular African-American knight from Brooklyn, New York. Powderly was also instrumental in persuading the Knights to admit women believing that skilled workers should assist in organizing the unskilled. He opposed the trade union form of organization. He insisted that wage slavery was no less evil than chattel slavery. Powderly always took Catholic teachings quite seriously. He declared that labor unions would not have been necessary if Christian teachers had followed Jesus Christ in word and deed. Powderly spoke of Christ as the world's greatest, most sublime agitator. He had a good relationship with a number of Catholic leaders, including Baltimore's James Cardinal Gibbons. However, he always made it clear that he did not take orders from Rome. Following his resignation as Grand Master Workman, Powderly served as U.S. Commissioner General of Immigration and later held a number of positions in the U.S. Department of Labor. In 1900, he was visited in his office in Washington, D.C. by a committee of three members of the Knights of Columbus, which is a Catholic fraternal order, who invited him to join. He was appalled by the church's apparent double standard of allowing the Knights of Columbus to practice secret rites while condemning such in the Knights of Labor. He never completed the application for Knights of Columbus membership. Fraternalism, nonetheless, maintained its grip on Powderly, recalling that during his tenure as Grand Master Workman, never once was he misled or misinformed by a man who wore the Masonic emblem. He concluded that that organization must be based on sound principles to attract such men to it. Thus, he decided to become a Freemason and petitioned for membership in Osiris Lodge No. 26, now Osiris Pentaltha Lodge No. 23, in Washington, D.C. He was initiated as an entered apprentice on October 2, 1901, passed through the degree of Fellowcraft on November 20, 1901, and raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason on December 18, 1901. He continued his Masonic involvement in Washington Scottish Rite bodies, where he became a member of Mithras Lodge of Perfection, Evangelist Chapter of Rose Croix, Robert de Bruce Council of Kadosh, and Albert Pike Consistory. He received the 32nd degree on March 30, 1907. He remained an active Mason until his death in Washington on June 24, 1924. Throughout his career, Powderly was attacked from all sides by trade unionists, fellow knights, employers, reformers, politicians, and clergymen. He held his ground despite all of these attacks and emerged as one of the most popular labor leaders of his day. There can be no doubt that the principles of Freemasonry, as he received them first in the Knights of Labor and later in the Masonic Lodge itself, helped him to endure. His contributions to both Masonry and organized labor were great indeed. So following is a few sections from an article in the Journal of Interdisciplinary History, Volume 31, Number 4, Spring 2001, and the name of the article is Rise and Fall of a Nation of Joiners, the Knights of Labor Revisited. Now this is about a 27-page article, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there are a few sections in here that I think are definitely worth sharing. The main point of the article, as I understand it, is that the 
reason the Knights of Labor fell apart is because they tried to be too much for too many people. For example, it was based on Masonic principles. The founder was a Mason, um, and so they had a fraternal aspect to it. Also, they were open to basically almost any trade, so other than gamblers, lawyers, uh, and a few others. And so they tried to be a little bit to everything. They allowed women, they allowed African Americans, they allowed pretty much everybody in. So that's the point of this article is that that's part of the reason they really didn't last for very long is because they tried to be too much for too many people. And other groups that were much more condensed or, or focused um, ended up, the members ended up leaving the Knights of Labor and going to those where maybe it was a particular trade or it tied in more with their religious background. So, let me share just a couple of sections of this article here. An Organization in Search of Its Mission One of the most divisive issues within the Knights' short history concerned the fraternal oath of secrecy required of all members. Fraternal orders customarily possessed a coterie of handshakes, rituals, and signs for members only. The Knights, like the Freemasons, called their assembly hall a temple, placed an open Bible on an altar before each meeting, and referred to one another as Master Workman and his assembly of noble brothers. Uriah S. Stevens, founder of the Knights, and the early members were as committed to quasi-Masonic ritualism as they were to bread-and-butter economic issues. Apparently, the ceremony established to initiate new members into the order was taken verbatim, et literatum, from that of the Knights of Pythias, a quasi-Masonic American secret society. That confraternity and labor unionism might be combined in a single entity was surely a strong incentive for many joiners. Nonetheless, it also proved to be one of the sources of the Knights' decline. Catholic clergy had long been suspicious of organization that required members to swear allegiance to any power other than God and the Church. The great rise in fraternal organizations in America after the Civil War was cause for alarm among the Episcopate. Anti-Catholic sentiment generally ran high in the 19th century United States as more and more Catholics arrived on its shores from Ireland, Italy, France, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Portugal, and Spain. Antagonism sometimes reached a fever pitch. The know-nothing movement of the early 1850s may be the best known of these outbreaks, but Catholics had reason to fear hostility throughout the remainder of the century, particularly following the establishment of such nativist fraternities as the Order of Native Americans, the Order of the American Union, the Crescents, the Templars of Liberty, the Patriotic League of the Revolution, the Order of American Freemen, and the National Order of Vedettes. The violent Molly Maguire movement in 1870s Pennsylvania, largely comprised of Irish Catholic coal miners, commonly believed to be associated with a Catholic secret society called the Ancient Order of Hibernians, catalyzed anti-Catholicism among Protestant workers. For years afterward, any labor leader with Catholic sentiments would be denigrated with the Molly label, as was Knight's Grand Master Workman Powderly in his unsuccessful campaign for mayor of Scranton in 1878. From the beginning, the Knights were divided into two camps, those loyal to the fraternal origins of the organization as a secret society for workers, and devout Roman Catholics concerned about the spiritual consequences of Freemasonry. Catholic clergy did not oppose the Knights as such, but they demanded certain alterations in their practice, particularly renunciation of the secret oath. 
Though the question of dropping the oath was first mentioned in the Knights National Convention of 1878, Stevens was adamantly opposed to it. He had previously been active in the Freemasons, the Oddfellows, and the Knights of Pythias. Nonetheless, a forceful alliance of Catholic members continued to push the issue. In the winter of 1879, Stevens finally resigned, citing this as one of his grief grievances. The complaints of Catholic members were not unwarranted. Given the threats and condemnation coming from the church hierarchy, Catholic missionaries periodically organized missions against the Knights, denouncing the order and threatening members with excommunication. In some cities, Catholic Knights were even refused the right of absolution. In Columbus, Ohio, for example, the bishop of the city began refusing deceased knights Christian burial. In Cleveland, Catholic knights were accosted during a local parade and denounced from the pulpit. In every such case, local knights' assemblies experienced dramatic declines in membership. Between 1880 and 1881, the years of the first clerical attacks on the knights, national membership fell from 28,136 to 19,422, a remarkable 30% decline. After a mass exodus from a Scranton assembly, Powderly complained, We had a mission here in all the Catholic churches in the city, and the good Christians are now leaving us. Following his plea at the National Knights Convention in 1881, a resolution altering the Knights' secret rituals was finally passed. But, as Powderly anxiously noted, you still have men in New York who would move heaven and earth to restore the old Masonic customs and to make the order again oath-bound. In the meantime, Powderly continued his efforts to appease the Roman Catholic Church by adamantly stumping for a Knights' temperance policy, which angered many members and caused not a few defections. When Cardinal James Gibbons began defending the Knights, however, a number of Powderly's enemies, as well as a number of leading Protestant clergy, began attacking him for popery, and that is P-O-P-E-R-Y. Articles in the Journal of United Labor and the Irish World accused him of packing the executive board with Catholics, and anti-prohibitionist, radical socialist, and conservative Protestants began leaving the order in droves. In 1888, Thomas Berry, an influential member of the Knights Executive Board, formed the Brotherhood of United Labor after he was ousted from the order over the religious question. This susceptibility of the Knights to internal revolt reveals the weakness of its national hierarchy. It is a lesson to those who unconditionally praise the advantages of national interest group federalization. So I've continued reading this to myself, and it's heavy, heavy stuff. A little dry but still very interesting. So, uh, as I said, the citation for this work is in the show notes, and it's about 27 pages long, and it's got all kinds of information in here, and it is a really good read. It's just uh, a bit dry. So, with that, hope you enjoyed this, hope you learned a little bit, and have a great one. We'll catch you on the next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.